The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, drum roll. Why? Why are we drum rolling? Because it's the methylation episode. Finally! I know, right? The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. You think this will be tricky? No, I, I think it's going to be no. I think it's going to be easy. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be easy. That's good. I'm glad. Easy as pie. Oh god. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. Welcome to the Lab Report. Thank you. Welcome everyone to this podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about things, like not what, just any like old what kinds thing. of things, like things like functional medicine, uh-huh. specialty lab testing, uh-huh. integrative therapeutics, oh. and methylation. Wow. You said this was going to be easy as pie, but is pie easy? Pie is easy, man. Hmm. It's got that easy consistency. Well, It's got a consistency of ease. (laughs) If you like pie and this podcast, you should probably go to Spotify or iTunes and subscribe, rate and review, leave us some feedback. Yeah. Like, do you think pie is easy? (laughs) Do you think cake is easier? I don't know. It's hard to discern which one's easier, cake or pie. Maybe that's why they call it a piece of cake. Hmm, Now I'm hungry. Hmm. Well, our job today is to make methylation a piece of cake and as easy as pie. That's right. We can do it. We can absolutely do it. That's a good goal to have for today as well. So let's just start with a little bit of an introduction question. Well, to be fair, we actually have touched on methylation a couple of times so far in this podcast. That's true. Because methylation is involved in so many different things. That's right. It's hard to avoid it. You know, if you're talking about functional medicine, you're just, you're going to come across methylation. But that's not to say like... This is it. This is the methylation episode. Well, why don't we just start with the basic concept of what methylation is? Let's define terms. You know, I love defining terms. Let's define some (laughs) terms. Wow. Wow. Well, the most basic way to think about methylation is that it's actually a, a reaction. It's a biochemical reaction. It's an enzymatic reaction. That's right. And it's just... This little methyl group, which is a carbon with some hydrogens on it. Okay. I'm I'm imagining like a little ping pong ball. Do that. Okay. Do that. And it gets donated from molecule to molecule. Now I'm imagining the actual game of ping pong. Keep going. Back and forth. So then when the molecule accepts this methyl group, it changes its structure and function. Well, wait a minute. Hmm. Anytime there's an enzymatic reaction, something... Two molecules get together and they turn into something else, which changes their structure and function. So that's what's the deal. That happens with every reaction. That's exactly right, actually. And I want to remind you that there is this book that Michael Chapman's writing called Biochemical Proverbs. And so I think this fits into that. Yeah, I've got about a half a page done so far. There it is. So I'm really working, making some progress on this. What's the proverb? The proverb is... It's not the reaction that is significant, but how often the reaction is used in the body. Mm. And Mm. this one happens billions of times per second in every cell of your body. 
Yeah. And it's used for so many different processes, right? This is where it's, it gets its importance. It's used in things like creatine production for the muscle energy usage. It's used for DNA epigenetic modification. It's used for hormone detoxification. It's used for uh, neurotransmitter production and elimination. It's used for immune cell function. It's used for nitric oxide synthesis. It's used for on and on and on. It's used for so many different processes in the body. That's what makes it important. So because it's used for just about everything in the body, as you're describing it... All the processes. You see why having a difficult time with your methylation could have a lot of implications. And that's why you find methylation dysfunction associated with so many different clinical conditions. That's right. You have it associated with cardiovascular disease risk. You have it associated with neurodegenerative conditions, cancer risk, mm-hmm. um, behavioral issues. You have it associated with uh, um, osteoporosis even. So there's a lot of different things that methylation dysfunction is associated with clinically. Okay, so now we're agreeing that it's a simple reaction and it's involved in everything, Mm. and we see all the different systems that it affects. I'm glad we're agreeing about that. Good. I think now it's time to really get into the specifics around the methylation cycle, and I just want to warn you that there's a lot. So if you have a chart or a picture or a graph, if you have the methylation panels graphic in front of you, it might be easier to follow. Go to our website and download the methylation handout, Mm -hmm. the methylation pathway chart. Um, That would be a really great thing to look at right about now. We can actually attach that in the show notes. So all that being said, hopefully you have that in front of you. Mm -hmm. Patty. Yes. Where do you start? What what biomarker do you think of when you think about methylation? What's the first biomarker or just loose association, word association? Me or most people? You. Oh. I, I mean, I, I can't ask most people. Well, I so start. I, can ask you. I start with methionine, actually. What? Yes. Okay. Explain. Methionine. Explain yourself. Is an amino acid you get yes. it from your diet, a lot of foods, okay, right? meat, right. dairy, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And methionine is an amino acid that is made into something called Sam. Yeah. Okay. All right. I I see. I smell what you're cooking here. That's right. And so the importance there is that we're taking this dietary amino acid from like our protein that we eat um, or in catabolic circumstances from catabolism of our muscle, wherever it's coming from. Mm, Doesn't matter. With respect to methylation, the job is to turn that into SAM. Well, what's SAM? SAM is, this is probably the most important thing you could take. Wow. Do we know the drum roll? Yeah. Okay. SAM is the most important methyl donor in the body. So all of these billions of times per second that this is happening, SAM is the star of the show? SAM is the show, man. Nice. SAM is the precursor, or it is the methyl group donor that is used to accomplish the methylation reaction. So what does SAM stand for? S-adenosylmethionine. Which is why we call it SAM. Yeah. It's easier to say. Yeah. Some people call call it SAMe, mm-hmm. um, and you may even see it in supplement form called SAMe, uh, but it's all the same. Mm-hmm. And it is just like it sounds like it's adenosylated methionine. You take that amino acid methionine, add a special adenosyl group to it, and you've got SAM. And now it's ready and able to carry out the methylation reaction. And I tend to think of SAM as like cash, like your body's methylation 
cash on hand. Ooh, and another metaphor from Michael Chapman. Here we go, right? Mm-hmm. So what you're dealing with is you're going to spend some of your cash on maybe hormone detoxification. You're going to spend some of your cash on neurotransmitter production. You're going to spend some of your cash on nitric oxide production. Um, you know, all these things that the body is doing for from a methylation standpoint, you're using this SAM, making creatine. And so you want to make sure that you have adequate cash, SAM in this case, to make sure you're accomplishing the body's needs for methylation. So if you don't have enough SAM mm-hmm. and your body has only so much cash on hand, yeah. does that mean it's going to start to budget and like slight one area over another? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And we don't necessarily know what preferences are going to be made, what decisions are going to be made in the body when it comes to that. Is it going to be problems around, uh, nucleotide synthesis or epigenetic modification? Is it going to be problems around hormone detoxification? You know, you could see where once you have to start budgeting your SAM, you're going to run into some areas of concern. You know, we didn't even mention that it's involved in like detoxification of arsenic and other heavy metals too. So, you know, you don't want to have to pick and choose which of these things you're going to accomplish. Yeah, that's not good. So then you now have methionine from your diet, making SAM. Yeah. And we know that SAM is the primary methyl donor throughout your entire body to go to all those places. Yeah. What happens after it donates the methyl group? So we'll take a step here and talk a little bit about the methylation reaction too. Um, We mentioned COMT. We did a multi-omics podcast on COMT, and that's one methyl transferase reaction. That's one methylation reaction that uses SAM. In this case, it detoxifies estrogens and detoxifies epinephrine, norepinephrine. Go back and listen to that episode. But that's just one example. Whenever you see an enzyme that ends in like MT, Mm. that stands for methyl transferase, which means it's a methylation reaction. Which means SAM is giving a methyl group. Yes. Yes. And so to answer your question, once that methyl group is given away... Once it's spent, once you spend that cash, you're left with what's called SAH, S-A-H, or S-adenosyl homocysteine. And actually, if you go into literature, they often talk about when you're looking at the ratio of SAM, or what methyl you had on hand, as it compares to SAW, what's left after you give away the methyl group, they call that the methylation index. Yeah, absolutely. So this SAM-SAW ratio, just to put another spin on it and complete the metaphor, I tend to think of SAW as like your debt, right? So if you spend more and more and more, you're going to accumulate debt, especially if you're spending it and you don't necessarily have reserves to back it up. Um, So the more SAW you have, the more methylation debt you end up creating. And so to look at this uh, SAM to SAW ratio, that's kind of looking at your cash to debt ratio. So now what I'm hearing is that the goal of this whole process is to get SAW back around to replenish to get us more SAM, or you got to go out and make more money. Yeah, you got to balance the budget. That's right. And so what you need to do here is there's a lot of different ways to do that. There's a lot of different ways to get SAW converted back into more methionine and then SAM. But there's one key uh, 
biomarker that's part of this. We haven't been talking about biomarkers per se, but it's good to know that when you think about homocysteine, right? We left out homocysteine. We're sitting here talking about methylation and we haven't even mentioned homocysteine, which is one of the things that people always think about, right? Which I think is also important because they think that's the be-all, end-all of having a methylation defects when in fact it's really only one small piece of the puzzle. Right. Yes. And it's a little bit of a proxy marker for methylation because what happens is that that debt the saw, S-adenosyl homocysteine, then turns into homocysteine itself. I see. And so homocysteine can accumulate if it's not being recycled, if it's not being turned back into methionine, which then turns into SAM, and then you can see how this cycle goes around and around and around. Um, so homocysteine is a surrogate marker for poor methylation because you're not making more cash. You're not making more SAM. It's stuck. You're stuck with debt. Yeah, and so most people clinically think of homocysteine as, in and of itself, a risk factor for cardiovascular disease and some of these other diseases. Yeah. But is it the homocysteine itself or the inability to complete this methylation cycle, to replenish? It's ironic because what you're seeing is all of these elevations in homocysteine in the literature are associated with these different clinical conditions, which are always associated with the same clinical conditions as methylation dysfunction, right? Because homocysteine is a surrogate marker for methylation problems. And so what you are saying is that, uh, is it homocysteine or SAR? Like what, what should we be looking at? And at the end of the day, you can kind of look at either because you're wanting to know the balance. You're wanting to know the balance between the cash and the debt. And homocysteine is kind of like another form of debt in a way. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So methionine comes from your diet and becomes SAM. Yes. The universal or the main primary methyl donor throughout your body. Yes. It donates a methyl group using a methyl transferase enzyme or any enzyme abbreviation that ends in MT. Yeah. Then you're telling me after it donates that you're left with SAW. Yes, your debt. Right. And the SAM to SAW ratio is called the methylation index. And then we just got to the point where SAW then becomes homocysteine, which we all know is kind of a bad actor. But now the question is, how do we get homocysteine to become methionine and then SAM? Yeah, great question, because this is how you get rid of your debt, turn it back into more methylation currency. And there's two ways you can do this. There's a main pathway and there's a backup pathway. So the main pathway is usable in all the cells in your body. Okay. okay? So that's why we call it the main pathway, because any cell can do it. There's a backup pathway that's primarily used in the liver and the kidney. So, you know, you don't want to have to constantly be shuttling molecules to the liver Mm. and kidney to accomplish this backup pathway. That's why we call it a backup pathway. That being said, the main pathway requires the uh, certain cofactors. And those are folate, vitamin B12, and also uh, zinc is is part of that. And there's some nuances to that. Like we need folate in its methylated form. It's 5-MTHF form, which brings us into the whole conversation about multiomics approach to MTHFR. Um, and, and that whole conversation, you can tune back to a previous episode for that part of the conversation around the folate cycle. But you need 5-MTHF, methylfolate, and you need activated B12, and then you need zinc. That's a cofactor for this reaction in the main pathway. Well, it sounds like there's a lot that could go wrong there. Like, yeah. for example, to make methylated folate, there's MTHFR there, which can cause a problem. Furthermore, you need an activated form of 
B12 and zinc. So it sounds like there's like a gauntlet it has to go through to get back up to methionine. Yeah, that's right. And any one of those can be a limiting factor for the remethylation of homocysteine to methionine and leads to elevations of homocysteine. Yeah, and you think, well, a lot of patients are deficient in some of these things, like B vitamins or B12 specifically. Or what about zinc? Right, like this is a common deficiency. And so you see why the body in its infinite wisdom does have a backup pathway. But I kind of think of this as like when you put a spare tire on your car, you don't want to depend on that. You want to make sure that you can use this main pathway and that you can make sure that everything's functioning properly. But there is a lot that can go wrong in that folate-type gauntlet with B12. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That being said, uh, and there's also enzymes that are part of that that can have genetic polymorphisms that can lead to some problems as well. Um, and that's, that's just what can go wrong with the main pathway. And in those circumstances, then the body's going to depend more on the backup pathway. So let's talk a little bit about the backup pathway. This is utilizing a different enzyme called BHMT, BH methyltransferase, ends in MT, right? That little nomenclature rule. Um, and this utilizes a methyl group from betaine to turn homocysteine back into methionine. So in essence, if we go through the folate cycle to get there, or this way that you're talking about using betaine, either way, you're trying to add a methyl group to homocysteine. You have to, you have to replace what was lost, right? Right. So you lost a methyl group doing the methylation reaction when it went from SAM to SAW. Now you've got to replace a methyl group. And so you're going to do this through the main pathway in the form of folate and B12, or you're going to do it from betaine. Got it. And so betaine is actually trimethylglycine. Yeah, TMG. So three methyl groups. Yeah. And so using this BHMT enzyme, it takes a methyl group from betaine, donates it to homocysteine, which then gets it back to methionine. That's right. And a few things to note, the main primary source of betaine in the diet uh, is choline. Right, so you can see where this is the essential nutrient choline becomes so important, and the cofactor for that reaction again here is zinc. So if you're zinc deficient, you've got big problems. There's a lot of stuff that goes wrong in this entire process if you have no zinc. Yeah, because you can't do the main pathway or the backup pathway; they're both zinc dependent. So you've got big problems if you run out of zinc. And choline is easy to obtain from your diet, right? Eggs, meats, just about all the common proteins. Yeah. And so then choline becomes betaine through an oxidation process. Yeah. And another thing about this being a backup pathway is this. Choline is used a ton for other things in the body. Right. Right. Choline is used for phosphatidylcholine synthesis, for cell membranes, acetylcholine. So choline is really, really important. If you're taking choline oxidizing it and turning it into betaine. Betaine's only used for methylation reactions mm. for the most part. Okay. And so if you're relying on your choline supply to accommodate methylation issues, then you could conceivably be stripping choline away, shunting it away from these other processes that are important. The acetylcholine production, as you mentioned, cell membrane repair. Um, so that's not something we don't want to be solely relying on the backup pathway unless we know that there's a very good, adequate choline source. Yeah, that's kind of like the spare tire analogy we used. Yeah. It'll get you home, but not a good long-term plan. Yeah. I mean, uh, unless your diet's really high in choline, yeah. then it probably isn't an issue. True. But, True. Uh, you know, that's that's always something to keep in mind is like there's a give and take for both of these pathways. So if we want to kind of sum up 
the fact that we need homocysteine to be remethylated to go back to methionine to feed this cycle forward. We just, li- we just laid out that there are two different paths that can take. The main pathway, which goes through the gauntlet of the folate cycle, which a lot of things can go wrong there. Then there's the backup pathway, which uses choline, which gets oxidized to betaine. It donates a methyl group to homocysteine to get it back up to methionine. But there's actually a third cycle that totally intersects with what we're talking about right at the branch point of homocysteine. Yes. Yeah, so homocysteine, as you said, can be converted into methionine by either the backup pathway or the main pathway, or it can mm. go down a separate pathway to turn into, at the end of the day, things like glutathione or taurine or pyruvate. Uh, and so that's a process called transsulfuration. And mm. so that is another option. If you're the end goal is trying to get homocysteine out of the cell, so you're not getting a backup, you're not getting a traffic jam, then another detour, another highway it can take is yeah. this transsulfuration pathway. So that's that's something to be aware of also, which requires different cofactors that are important. And I think important to note is that your body will keep recycling homocysteine in the methylation panel as long as it needs it at the expense of making glutathione or feeding the Krebs cycle. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because the First step in taking homocysteine and taking it down the transsulfuration pathway is either activated or inhibited by the concentration of SAM that there is. So let's think about this a different way. It means that SAM, your main methyl donor, if it's abundant, then you're going to have a higher likelihood for transsulfuration to be working to make glutathione. If SAM is low, meaning you're not doing well from an adequate methylation standpoint, then it's going to slow down the transsulfuration pathway accordingly to sort of help make more methylation products, make more SAM. That's so intriguing how interconnected these pathways are. And that SAM really is kind of the signal saying, I got plenty, okay to make glutathione. So that's intriguing and super important to keep in mind clinically. Like even if you do a neutral and someone has a low glutathione, yeah. you don't think about, oh, you this don't. could be a methylation problem. Right. We never think about no. the availability of glutathione. We think about, oh, you, you need more antioxidant right. support. Yes. But you probably need more methylation Correct. support. And that's something that really doesn't get thought of. And the, another thing too is that the transsulfuration pathway is also activated in response to oxidative stress. And mm-hmm. that, that makes sense. That does That's, make sense. If there's, you know, because glutathione is an end product, it's saying, oh, we've detected a lot of free radicals, make more glutathione. Like that's, that's the body just being infinitely wise and Mm -hmm. doing what it needs to do. So that's not as counterintuitive as what we said before about methylation being a major driver of glutathione production as well. Right. Which brings me to another layer, Michael. Oh, more layers. I'd hate to add more to make people's brains explode. Mm. But in prior episodes, we've touched on this topic of multiomics. Yes. Right? Where we're taking biomarker results, like phenomics, phenotypic markers. Uh-huh. and Metabolomics, we, that's right. and if we, you will. And we layer on genomics, which yep. in which case we were talking about single nucleotide polymorphisms. Yeah. And in that, we're talking about that multiomics approach. Yeah. But... If you're looking at all the things we talked about today, the methylation cycle, the folate cycle, transsulfuration, how would we layer that multiomic approach on top of this? Because there's a lot of enzymes used throughout this entire process. Well, right. I mean, kind of like any enzymatic process cycle, there's a bunch of enzymes that are involved. Mm. And it just so happens that a lot of these are enzymes that we can test for single nucleotide polymorphisms Mm -hmm. in. Um, MTHFR is a great example, right? That's going to 
help produce adequate methylated folate, which is used in that main pathway mm -hmm. to recycle homocysteine back into methionine. Um, there's another SNP called BHMT. That's the enzyme that is used for the backup pathway. So you can get a sense of how are my genes working for the main pathway or for the backup pathway. Uh, there's also an enzyme called CBS, which has been talked about quite a bit. That's the main branch point between homocysteine and this transsulfuration that we were just talking about. And so what is the what did my genetics tell me about how how rapid transsulfuration is occurring? So you can start to see where, you know, on the methylation panel, for example, there's 10 SNPs that are interspersed throughout these biomarkers. So the methylation panel is a multi-omics approach to methylation. You're getting all the enzymes that are involved in the methylation pathway, the methylation cycle, and the biomarkers that they relate to. So that's, it's a great example of that. Yeah, and when we did our SNP episode, yeah. we talked a little bit about, or you actually talked about how not all SNPs act the same. Sometimes a genetic SNP can predispose you to an enzyme working faster, yeah. which is upregulation. Yeah. Sometimes it can predispose you to working slower, which is downregulation. And on the methylation panel, we actually divide that out, which ones work faster, which ones work slower. So when you layer the multiomics, you really have to take that into consideration as well. Yeah, and you have to keep in mind which SNP relates to which action. Sometimes they, like you said, speed up or slow down. And, and the thing to know there is that doesn't mean good or bad necessarily. So it's <laughs> the natural inclination is to think, oh, you know, anytime an enzyme is slowed down, that's bad. And when it's sped up, it's good. But that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes when an enzyme is working too fast, like in the case of CBS, right. it may actually be drawing things away from methylation production because it's drawing things down into the transsulfuration pathway at a more rapid pace. And so there's always a give and take. And with something like the methylation cycle, it's about balance. Mm -hmm. And anytime you have a disruption in the balance, whether that's faster or slower, it can result in some clinical issues or some clinical concerns at least. Yeah, because it's also interconnected. And so when you look at it all on, on the methylation panel, it's important to kind of put it all together with the SNPs, with the biomarkers, look at the multiomics, look to see which ones are faster and slower, and then actually decide whether or not that SNP is making a difference at all. Yeah. And then that's going to help guide your treatment because you're going to know where in the pathway there is imbalance, where in the pathway there's backup. And you can look and see, oh, here's the cofactors that help alleviate that. Here's the cofactors used for that enzyme. So we know about MTHFR and some of the cofactors are like vitamin B2 and vitamin B3 to help that move a little bit better if it is sluggish. Or some people just supplement with the end product, the 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. But that's just one part. Right, but, but that's why we were banging that drum of don't just throw a bunch of methylated vitamins at people because these are so interconnected and it's so much about balance yeah. that you can overwhelm the system when, in fact, you could exactly do what you just said, B2, B3, zinc. Yeah, and we are hearing more and more about the concerns around overmethylation, mm -hmm. whether that's a thing or not. That's a whole other separate podcast topic probably. <laughs> um, but uh, that's one thing that I might think about, is at least with respect to giving a bunch of 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate and I've mentioned this before, but we know that there's an enzyme that's involved in the, essentially the disposal of excess SAM, excess methyl donors. Um, and that's an important process if you have too much because you don't want to be over-methylating genes. We at least know from a genetic standpoint that that could be problematic. And so uh, there's a disposal chute 
for this excess SAM, and that's actually inhibited by 5-methyltetrahydrofolate, the supplement that we give. So we know that there's the possibility of the supplement having some sort of systemic action in the, the overall balance of the cycles. Okay, that's all well and good. That's very exciting and everything. There's a lot. Uh, It was a lot, which means I think we should pause for a second and just switch directions. Okay. And go with me here for a second. Uh Uh-huh. But I think we should ask a question. Ooh. What time is it? Oh, you know what time it is. Question Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think you know what time it is. Question of the day, question of the day, question of the day, question of the day. Oh, God, it ended so soon. Was it soon? Caught me by surprise. It didn't feel soon to me. So, Patty. What? Question about homocysteine. Okay. We we talked about problems when it's elevated, and that might be a surrogate marker for methylation Mm. dysfunction. What about when homocysteine is low? Ah, great question, because... We talked a little bit earlier about how it's sort of a bad actor, right? It has all these associations that you also associate with methylation defects. A bad actor? Like mm-hmm. homocysteine is like Keanu Reeves? <laughs> no, more like Nicolas Cage. Oh, I get it. But it would think, you'd think in your head, okay, well, if it's low, great. That's a good thing, right? Right. But because it sits in that branch point between the main huge methylation cycle and transsulfuration, we know that transsulfuration has an end product of glutathione. So in my head, I think theoretically it could be bad because what if there's not enough homocysteine to be pulled down to make glutathione? That could be bad. Yes. Right? You need, yeah. Yeah. So you think, okay, that could be bad theoretically. However, in all actuality, there's not a lot of literature out there around low homocysteine. Yeah. And sometimes people will actually use it clinically as an indicator of overmethylation. Right. Which is interesting. Also interesting. Which, I mean, before you jump to that conclusion, you should run something like a methylation panel because I would be looking for higher levels of SAM, mm-hmm. higher levels of methionine, lower levels of saw and homocysteine, which is kind of what we're doing on the methylation panel when you look at the methylation balance ratio. And the other interesting thing is if you go in literature, I mean, people make all kinds of claims, like you just said, about low homocysteine, but there's really very little out there around it. And what is there is around things like peripheral neuropathy, for example. There's not a lot of outcome studies around low homocysteine. And I will also give you this caveat that homocysteine levels are just naturally lower in children. So hmm. some of the pediatric levels are actually pretty low and would shock you, but that's normal for a pediatric patient. So it's important to take the age into consideration as well. Something to keep in mind if you are looking at homocysteine in children. Yeah, that's good right. to know. Yeah, Patty, what if I told you that huh? we just went through methylation and the multiomics approach to methylation <laughs> in 30 minutes? Was it, was it like a piece of cake or easy as pie? Easy-er. But important to note is that we literally were doing our best to make this a piece of cake and there's so much more intricacy to what we just talked about. Yeah, admittedly, it was a little bit of the tip of the iceberg approach mm-hmm. to methylation. There's a lot more in there. We didn't talk about any of the things that can like activate Ooh. or inhibit some of the enzymes. Uh, we went over some of the cofactors, but not all the cofactors. Right. And so there's a lot more to learn. Where can they find more information, Betty? They should go to our website and check out the methylation panel. Because even the product page has a ridiculous amount of information. There's a support guide. There's... A pathway chart you can download. There's a webinar right there. There's a webinar right on the page given by the one and only Dr. Michael Chapman. Additionally, you can kind of go back to some of the podcasts we've done around multiomics, COMT, MTHFR, SNPs, lots of great resources, and this podcast that we're doing right now. 
And if you want to learn more mm-hmm. and you have questions, you have feedback, they can email podcast at gdx.net since we didn't mention that before or they can call 1-800-522-4762 to schedule a consult with one of our medical education specialists to have their questions answered well what are we doing next time michael next time on the lab report we resurrect a segment that we haven't done in a while hmm that can be so many i wonder which one you're referring to i know i'm gonna keep it as a surprise oh stay tuned you've been listening to the lab report If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Okay, I got one for you. Okay. Cake versus pie this is a no-brainer really this is a that's no definitive brainer go cake all the way i agree with you 100 percent. get out of my life pie <laughs> i mean you're fine if you're the only option right but i'm gonna complain that you're not cake and i'm probably gonna drown you in ice cream too wow what a pie anger <laughs>